1: Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, so we're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, check out The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where you'll get the fundamentals of dating and attractions, such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, a lot of the stuff that's more important than you might think. We've also got networking, relationship management, breakups, etc. We've got our live programs and boot camps running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. Details at bootcamps.theartofcharm.com. There's two dots in there, or give us a call here in the office, triple eight four one three. 7177 or you can email me jordan at theartofcharm.com. I do read everything and I'm looking forward to meeting all of you guys here in Los Angeles at The Art of Charm. Now today we're talking with Steve Sisler. Very interesting guy. He can read people like a friggin' book. He teaches people how to read these skills for business or just as party tricks of course. We're going to talk about personality archetypes. Mad, sad, glad, and scared. And if you can find something that rhymes all for he'll give you a big old bonus. We're also going to talk about how to spot the difference and use it to communicate more effectively with people, three reasons people listen, it's not what you think, and why vulnerability makes you valuable and how to practice vulnerability in your daily life, drills you can do yourself that'll help you hone the skill sets of reading people and matching their communication type. So enjoy this great one with Steve Sisler. So if you would, tell us what you do and tell us why it's important.
2: Okay. I'm Steve. I'm a behavioral profiler. I've been doing this for the last 10 years, but I've been working with people for about 25 years. Basically, in a nutshell, what I do is I run people through a battery of personality assessments, which is basically two. It's about 36 questions. When I get those answers, it spits out for me 11 numbers. I look at those numbers and basically I read them. When I read those numbers, it's measuring the intensity of four emotions and seven attitudes. When I know what those measurements are on a scale of zero to 100, then it tells me your personality style based upon your emotional framework, your behavioral bents, and your attitudes and worldview. And when I have that information, I know how your relationship is going to work out if I have both of those people's information. I know if you hire that person, what they're going to do when they work for you. All those questions now are answered when it comes to people, behavior and the synergies that it'll create or the problems it'll create. So I've got now clients in about 18 countries. Um uh people that typically start with me, they're still with me even all the way back to 10 years. Wow. Um because it's really accurate and I'm really good at it.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean it's it's like real tea leaves, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit here cuz I'm I'm curious Let's say I'm an intelligence agent. Can I can I have the assessment filled out by an expert on behalf of someone else who doesn't know they're taking it based on observing? I'm like, what if I wanted to assess, you know, Kim Jong il or something like that?
2: Could I do that? Um uh, Kim Jong il is a sociopath, so you know that's gonna be difficult. right? Uh, but yeah, I mean I've been at events and I shake somebody's hand, I look at what they're wearing, I look at how they do their hair, I listen to their tone of voice. I consider the handshake. I ask them what they do for a living. I ask them if they like it, and I've told them what car they drive. Yeah, I become the life of the party pretty quickly, and I've been in events where nobody would shake my hand for that reason. And again, it's very intuitive. It's not formulaic. For me, I'm just really good at it. And Dr. Tony Alessandra, who was the author of the Platinum Rule, who's been he's got a PhD in this stuff, and he's been doing it since the '70s. I've been working with him, and he called me a intuitive savant in this area. So it is my niche. I'm, I stumbled upon it years ago, um, started doing it and it rocketed. I mean, it was just so accurate. I've taken other people's assessments that, you know, I don't know anything about, and I kind of figure out the behaviors and where they're at, and I can do the same thing with those. So it's really not the assessment. It's more about my ability to read a person and how they act and so forth. So over the years, I've gotten really good at it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So, so you can't, well, can you train someone else to give these assessments or is it just like, this is something that you can do?
2: Yes, I'm working with a couple people right now. I got a guy over in Japan I'm working with. He's basically doing this in lieu of college. So I have a whole program that basically, I will launch you as a business, as a consulting firm, with your website, the whole deal um and you will be you know a basically a behavioral analyst and you got to grow into that role but I won't do it unless I think you have the capacity for it
1: wow what if somebody is in a position like me now I'm just applying for a job what if what if someone's in a position like me and just wants to get that skill set is that possible
2: it is possible you'll do it I'll give you the information I'll show you how I do it but then you'll rise to your own level of inability my ceiling's pretty high, but I didn't even know that until it's, I started doing this. So it's sort of, it's my niche. It might be your hobby.
1: Yeah, although I do do this for a living, I just don't do it the same way that you do. Yeah,
2: I mean, you may be very good at it. If you're doing it for a living, and you got all your eggs in that basket, and that basket works every time, then that's a sign. <laughs> yeah,
1: so far so good. I don't know if yeah. it's working every time, but yeah.
2: Yeah, eight years is a long time. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's true. Although... If you listen to the first few episodes of the show, you wonder what prompted me to think I could do this in the first place.
2: We all find our feet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. All right. So you've been speaking for EO, Entrepreneur Organization. You've been doing mastermind talks up in Toronto with Jason Gaynard. You've done a lot of really powerful speaking engagements. Like you said, the life of the party or the pariah of the party, depending on how people view that skill set. I guess that could be intimidating depending on the company, right?
2: Yeah, typically it's fun. You know, uh, some people, if I come in, they're like, "Uh uh-oh, what have we done? You know, they might have, but it all depends on how the leader rolls it out. Right. So typically the leader's done it. He's talking about how awesome it was and what he learned about himself.
1: Yeah, of course. If people are, are saying, hey, this is really cool. I learned a ton about myself. You guys should do it. It's really enlightening versus hey, everybody, we're going to take a measure of your personality and decide whether or not, based on your results, whether or not you're a good fit for the company still or something like that.
2: Right. And, and you know, legally, you can't do that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, you can't do that. You can't um, base a, a, a hire on an assessment. Now, the assessment is part of the hiring process. It's like reference checking. But of course, if you call a reference and they say, yeah, he's got six kids buried in the backyard, you're not going to hire them. Right. So also, if the fit is just not good, then that plays into the process of looking for the right fit. So in a sense, you can't and you can. It depends. It's like the revenue. You know, is it gray? Well, it isn't until you're audited. Right. Yeah, of course. (laughs) I've never had a problem in 10 years. It seems
1: weird that you can't base a hire off an assessment that is designed to assess someone's personality traits. It's kind of like saying, well, you need to take the bar exam to be a lawyer, but we can't hire you based on the
2: results of that exam. That's exactly right. I mean, times are changing. I mean, you can't do that. I had an individual uh, hire somebody. They assessed them after they hired them, and they found out this isn't working. So they just moved him to another department. That didn't work. Moved him to another department. That didn't work. So they let him go and they sued him.
1: That sucks. I mean, it's like this assessment shows that you're a complete jerk and nobody wants to work with you ever.
2: Lawsuits coming from employees to employers are up 600 percent.
1: Wow. That's terrible news. Well, terrible news for employers, of which I am yeah. one. Um, so you can help people avoid this by giving them the ass- If the timing is good enough, you can assess people before they get hired.
2: Yes. W- once I work with an organization, then they do this for everyone that is coming in the door. It's what I call the sheep gate. Yeah. You run the rod and the staff across them to see if they got any disease. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs>
1: so tell us how this can work in, in practice. I mean, you have four different behavioral sort of paradigms here. Can we go over those and then talk yeah, about how to spot yeah. the differences?
2: Yep. I'll, I'll do it in a way that people can understand it really easily. There's four types of people, mad, Glad, sad, and scared. Mad, glad, sad, and scared. Mad, glad, sad, and scared. And it's easy to remember. Yeah, the you... first
1: three rhymes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's been 10 years trying to find something that says scared that mads with glad, but I, I yeah. haven't figured it out yet. Um, but anyway, so the mad people operate out of an anger emotion. And the anger emotion is not a bad emotion. The anger emotion is a decisive emotion, it's the emotion that gets things done. Uh, So, the mad people are getting everything done in the world. The glad emotion is an optimistic emotional emotion, and it's very verbal, it's very aggressive, it's more of a limbic emotion. So, people operating out of the fight or flight center of their brain rather than the logic and reason in the frontal lobe. So, those people make decisions based upon how they feel. So, they're outgoing, gregarious, talkative. You know, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush. Joe Biden, which we don't want to give a microphone because we don't know what he's going to do because he's a (laughs) low-compliant. But, you know, those outgoing, warm people are the influencers. And then you've got the sad people, which are the supporters. Those are the typically, I, I don't want to stereotype, but, you know, the ladies in the office helping out, assisting, doing paperwork, phone calls. Those people that run data, they're calm, easy to get along with. They don't reveal a whole lot. They don't speak unless spoken to. Those are the supporters. Those are the helpers. And you never know what they're thinking. Then you have the scared people, which are the thinkers. So those are the internalizers. So if you want to take this and move it into a Star Trek scenario, mad is Captain Kirk. Glad is Dr. McCoy. Sad is Scotty. And scared is Spock.
1: Okay, that might help some members of the audience. I'm not entirely sure what that did, but we can let that sort of go. That might have really helped a lot of people. Yeah, it'll help some
2: (laughs) at a certain age group. But the point I'm making is everybody has all four in differing intensities. So depending upon which ones are high, there could be three, it could be two, it could be one. um, And how low the other ones are, and high and low is determined by whether it's above 50 or not, then you've got a real mix of four primary behaviors that would tell you exactly how somebody does things.
1: So everyone's a mix of these different personality archetypes or or behavioral.
2: You know, it's choleric, phlegmatic, you know, it it goes back 3000 years. I mean, it's been around a long time. Uh, People have been observing people's behavior forever. And uh, you can shake somebody's hand and then go, okay, that's a mad because they nearly broke my fingers. Right. This is a person who's going to get stuff done. And then, if you shake their hand and you're like, you don't know where the hand went, it's like the damp dish rag. Cold fit, the dead fish handshake. That's a sad. So, that's a maintainer, whereas the hard handshake is the obtainer.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, it shows up non verbally, verbally. Oh, yeah. Et cetera, yeah, yeah. Et cetera. yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Observable indicators. You
1: can see it. Yeah, you can't really not communicate these things with your body. In fact, I would no. imagine would the nonverbal indicators, be, they're probably even stronger than the verbal indicators. They're most of stronger.
2: The time. You're absolutely right because verbal communication is only 7% of communication. Right, right. Body language is more like 60%. So you don't need an exam to figure out most of this stuff. You just
1: need to interact with somebody for a few minutes most of the time and you can see a lot of this, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I teach people how to read somebody in three minutes. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, it's fairly accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you get the numbers, I mean, I can bring that accuracy up to over 90%.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, I would imagine because then you're getting their experience over the course of their whole life sort of culminating in a, in a metric versus yep. you looking at them, and which could be affected by the mood of the yep. day or the fact that they didn't have coffee yep. that morning or whatever.
2: And then you have the seven attitudes, which are not observable. And you measure those, and you combine those with the behaviors, and now you've got, my God, it's like, it's the first and the second half of the book. Sure. Uh, okay. You have that information. I, I looked at a graph one time of a person who worked somewhere for 17 years. I never met him before. I did this for the owner, and I had did seven people, and this is about 10 years ago. And I said, who's Joe? He's going to quit in about four weeks. And the guy said, oh, my God, I've worked with Joe for 17 years, and he told me a couple of weeks ago he's going to quit.
1: Oh, Wow.
2: And I just saw it in the numbers. I could tell you stories like that till tomorrow. That's how powerful it is.
1: Because you can see how these come across in corporations and things like that all the time.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you another one. I I did a a person and I looked at the numbers and I said, let me guess, you were looking at pornography at work and they fired you. And he said, yeah, yesterday. That's exactly what happened.
1: That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. So certain personality types are the ones that, was that guy mad or was he sad?
2: He was a sad.
1: Okay. I'm just wondering which type, uh, you know, looks at porn even at work.
2: He was a sad and a scared.
1: Yeah. That's kind of what you would imagine, knowing very, very little about what those look like. That's kind of what you'd imagine. Somebody who can't control that impulse and looks at it at
2: work, right? Yeah. Well, I've had mads do it. That makes sense intuitively. I had a mad that was making a million dollars a year about six years ago. And I told him, I said, something's going on here, dude. You're not telling me what it is. And I had a feeling of what it was. And he goes, no, no. I said, well, then let me give you your money back. He goes, no, that's okay. And six weeks later, he calls me up. He had a family and four kids, and he got caught with a prostitute.
1: Ooh, sex addict, yeah.
2: Yeah, he was an addict. And uh, now he's in a 12-step and all that. But the thing is, I saw it. That's why I don't like doing family.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be creepy. I mean, you must find some skeletons in people's emotional, mental closet that... They're like, hey, man, I had you come in here to tell me how to be more productive or, you know, get more things done or negotiate better or whatever they thought the assessment was going to do. And you're just thinking, when are you going to deal with this childhood trauma? And they're like, whoa, slow your roll. I didn't want to go there.
2: I had a lady one time I did at a business conference and I asked her, what happened to you when you were 10? And she broke down. It's when her grandfather molested her in the attic at 10. Right. I mean, that's crazy. So I even come away going, how did I do that? Right. Yeah, totally. The last one that happened was I looked at a graph and it was for a person's girlfriend that I hadn't talked to her yet. And he said, what do you see in my girlfriend's profile? So the only thing I can see is she looks like a person who's been held underwater. Um, And he said, yeah, she was held underwater when she was a teenager and it's ruined her life. Literally held underwater? Yeah, somebody held her underwater and she almost drowned and it traumatized her. Oh, and wow. I wasn't thinking that actually happened. Right. It was
1: a metaphor. But I
2: saw and I looked at those numbers. That's the only thing that made sense to me as an illustration of what her emotions were doing. Yeah. And that's it's exactly what happened.
1: That's incredible. That's really cool. And I know, it's crazy. It,
2: it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: These styles show up in the way that people communicate verbally and non verbally, right? As well. Yes. So, does it help us to figure out how other people communicate, which modality or whatever that they use? And then match that or something like that? Okay,
2: absolutely. You're absolutely right. What happens is if I'm dealing with somebody who's a machine gun communicator, then that's somebody who wants to get to the point. So if somebody like that emails me, hey, are you going to the meeting tonight? I'll just send an email. No. And they're thrilled. But if somebody else, they send me a paragraph, then I need to give some more information or they're going to email me again to get more information.
1: Right, sure, yes, because if you just said no, they're like, this guy's a rude son of a bitch.
2: That's exactly right, that would not work with that other side, yeah. because those two styles are opposites.
1: Right, oh, you don't have time to tell me why you're not gonna go, you're not just, you're just not, not gonna show up? That's exactly yeah. right.
2: You know, that's like, if you have a client and you learn how to read your clients, then you'll know how to communicate with them effectively. Sure. If you communicate with them effectively, you get more out of them. They trust you more, they understand you, they like you. Because you speak their, quote, language.
1: Right. No, that makes perfect sense. My dad communicates like that. Mm-hmm. You know, one word answers. It used to be exasperating, and now I'm just like, no, this is how he communicates. You know, It's this how is- he's wired. Yeah. My mom's the total opposite. Are you going to the meeting tonight? Well, I'm, I don't know. I'm I'm on the fence. You know, I'm thinking we could do this, or we could go to dinner. I mean, is it worth the time? Do I need to be there? Da, da, da. And my dad's just like,
2: no. Yeah. Well, the Jordan River always marries the Dead Sea. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that, but it makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, about 70% of the time, maybe. That's
1: interesting. Yeah, miraculously, my parents are still together. I think my mom just kind of reads my dad's mind somehow, and it's yeah. good enough. Yeah, Yeah.
2: well, the talkative people tend to be more intuitive. Now, what happens is, you know, if opposites attract in behavior, similarities will endure within the worldview or the values base.
1: What does that mean?
2: Well, if we both um, are altruistic in nature then that will create longevity. If we're both opposites in behavior, that will create an attraction. So if you've got both an attraction and longevity, then you've got forever.
1: Right. Yeah, that's tricky, though.
2: Yeah, it is tricky. Now, everybody makes mistakes. So then, what is your capacity for forgiving? You know what I mean? Because that's what you're going to have to do as a full-time job when you get married.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. My girlfriend does a lot of forgiving, Yeah, Uh, of me as well, because my communication style can be a little bit brash. As people know who listen to the show, imagine when I'm tired and cranky, you know, she's like, do you want to go out to eat? No. Oh my God, you must be mad at me. No, I just, I don't feel like talking in complete sentences. I've been doing it all day.
2: Yeah. Well, this is the reason why, because we don't see people as they are. We see them as we are. Yes, of course. If she acted that way, it would be because she was angry.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. And then, of course, we're reading people through our own emotional state to boot. So if she's tired and cranky, and I seem tired and cranky, she's not going to go, hmm, he's had a long day. That's why he's communicating this way. She's like, he's mad at me
2: for something. Yep, and they can't help it. They can't stop it because those glasses are fused to their face.
1: That's a great analogy, too. They're contact lenses. You can't see out around them.
2: Yeah, you can't take them off. Right. Oh,
1: that's so perfect.
2: You have to understand them, and then over time, You know, when you're forced to deal with it, you will. But if you don't, some people don't even know what it is.
1: It reminds me of something that happened yesterday. I was at a group of high-level entrepreneurs were having a dinner. Somebody canceled, so they invited me. That's how I get into those things, if if anyone's (laughs) curious. (laughs) Just for those people who always wonder why I happen to be, it's because when people bail, I I get a phone call. But I I, I went over there, (laughs) and somebody was talking about some problem they were having and I was like oh I've got a great way to solve this problem and I started talking and then I caught myself and went oh nobody's interested in my solution to this problem they're just venting and talking and I and I thought I probably do that a lot and I definitely do it to my girlfriend and I'm always trying to solve problems and as entrepreneurs we're always trying to solve each other's problems too but sometimes no matter who you are even if you're the most diehard problem solving engineer sometimes you just want to bitch about something And if somebody interrupts you to try and solve it, you give them the look that I got yesterday, which is shut up. I'm talking or why are you talking over me? Or why are you trying to solve this problem? Of course I know how to solve the voicemail issue. I'm, I created the system that routes the voicemail. Yeah. So,
2: well, that's somebody who's a fixer. And so it's, it's what you do. And so, you know, it's like you will listen uh, for three reasons. Everybody will listen for one of three reasons to, I'm listening to you so I can understand, or I'm listening to you so I can direct and control, or I'm listening to you so I can agree or disagree. And the fixers only listen so that they can direct and control, so while you're listening to her, you're waiting for her to stop so you can tell her what she should have done.
1: Right.
3: Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Indeed.com slash
0: charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify.
3: That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own Fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling,
0: Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow,
3: Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries.
0: Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses
3: business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm.
1: You you know, it's funny though, when people do that to me, I, I get equally annoyed. I don't want you to solve my problem. I'm whining. I can fix the problem myself. Right. If I wanted advice, I'd say, how could I solve this problem? And then I would start talking.
2: Right. Well, you're probably talking to another fixer. Of course. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which is funny because depending on who it is, they might be matching my communication, et cetera. I mean, I want to definitely get into some of how this can be useful because a lot of people, it's obvious, whoa, different communication modalities. You've got to look for these. What do we listen for? What do we look for? We talked about the handshake you know, the mad, sad, glad, scared type thing. But how do we look at the communication modalities or figure out maybe what our girlfriend's communication modality is or our brother's communication modality?
2: Well, the mad and the glad are direct communicators, okay? Because they're known as active communicators. In other words, forward thinkers, forward movers. If you're operating out of an emotional base, like glad or out of a logic base like the mad okay the mad Donald Trump you know the glad Bill Clinton okay um so Donald Trump just looks at you and goes you're fired so his communication is very direct it's very bold it's very in your face Bill Clinton is charm it's all charm oriented so he gets his point across but when you get to the other two sad and scared are not active they're passive So they become more indirect communicators. And so the sad person are very difficult to read. So they're thinking, what was he meant when he said that? Whereas the glad person says, what did you mean by that? The sad person internalizes because they're passive. The aggressive externalizes. So when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with, if you're an aggressive dealing with a passive, you could ask them, so how's it going? You do all right? You doing okay? You got enough work to do? Yada, yada, yada. They could be overloaded and crying to their peer when you're not in the room and they'll look at you and go, I'm fine. So if you know that they're a pass, you say, Susie, now you know that you don't like telling me when I'm giving you a lot of work because you don't like letting me down. And I know that. But listen, it's okay. Do I need to slow down? And then she'll look at you and smile and go, yes. Huh.
1: Interesting. Okay.
2: You don't do that. I saw this happen with a client. The person, after three years, got up, took their keys, and threw them at the person, and they haven't spoken since. And they were the diehard supporter for all those years and then exploded one day because they never told them, you're giving me too much work to do.
1: Right. Sure. Yeah, the lack of communication. It's the old proverbial you know, relationship yeah. tension, and then eventually yeah. it gets so bad, someone leaves the cap off the toothpaste and
2: gets stabbed. So or whatever. statistically, that's kind of a nurse profile. And if you look at the statistics, 98,000 people die every year in a hospital because a nurse can't confront a doctor.
1: Oh, that's awful.
2: Yep. So if you know that those styles are that kind of a communicator, then you have to draw the information out. You can't expect it.
1: So what's the first thing we look for? Say I'm, say I'm an engineer and I'm trying to communicate with the salespeople and it's always bashing my head against the wall or vice versa.
2: Yeah, it would be vice versa. Yeah,
1: it's going to be vice versa. What are some of the things I start to look for?
2: Engineers typically are introverted, whereas salespeople are typically extroverted, you know, just giving you a generic situation. And so it would be better for, again, this is what I call functional authority versus title authority. I mean, if I have a title, one thing, but if I have function, that's everything. So what I would say is, It's really the responsibility of the salesperson to check in with the less communicating style and make sure everything's okay because that person's not going to do anything. You don't say, well, you need to start communicating. That's like telling a rocket needs to start being a tree.
1: Yeah, that's very, yeah, it's true.
2: So I don't recommend people change who they are. They need to recognize who they are. So does everybody else. So, If I'm the communicator, why don't I go and communicate and see if everything's okay? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Nothing. But no, he should be communicating with me. That's immaturity. That'll get nothing accomplished. So the best thing we can do is find out who functions how and then live up to those understandings rather than placing expectations on people that are crazy. The best people that work together, the best ways Understand one another, appreciate the differences, and make it work. And they're the best and most successful companies.
1: Perfect. Yeah, now that makes so much sense because you have to be able to communicate with completely different types of people if you manage
2: an organization of yeah. even
1: five people, let alone 500 or 5,000. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm the mad. My wife is the sad. And this just happened yesterday. We were driving the car and we were talking about something, and my wife looked at me and said, You know, when we were in Florida last week, I noticed like almost every conversation I heard you having, it was like you were talking about yourself. And she goes, that's not even like you. And you know, is there a reason? And immediately, like within seconds, like I feel the heat, I'm heating up and I'm feeling attacked, accused. You know, I want to be liked and I feel like oh, I look like a fool. All these things are happening, but I didn't do or say anything. I just said, you know what? That took a lot of courage to say that. And then she looked down and she said, I was really scared. Oh, wow. And we've been married 30 years. Sure. And you see what happened there? So I knew it was very courageous for her to do that. And it wasn't an accusation or an attack. But my instant reaction was feeling attacked because I'm insecure. But because I know what's going on, I thwarted it. I said, no, that's not going to happen. I'm not doing it. And it was wonderful. So that's a behavioral analyst in a 30-year marriage. Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can't stop being a human being. Oh, that's amazing. You got to understand it. And when you understand it and you care more about the people than you do the pain that you think you're feeling because you're misinterpreting something, then you're going to have success.
1: That is uh, that is very funny. And I would imagine this happens so much more. And I don't mean the the happily ever after, oh, good, we finally got that out of the way. I mean the, the disastrous, okay, this is never going to work. That happens much more often because in a marriage, yeah, you're invested to make it work. But in a business, you're kind of like, you know what? I'm sick of this guy's crap. He's a yep. he's crummy board member or a crummy C-level exec. And yeah. they gang up with one or two other similar communicators who think, yeah, that guy, you know, he's always a jerk in his email. He's always Mr. One Word. He's blowing us off. He doesn't communicate, he's not, obviously not willing to learn because HR told him to communicate You know, over the last three years and he, nothing's changed, so let's yes. get rid of him. And then that guy's going, what the hell, I've delivered results for this company for five years and now I'm getting canned. Yep,
2: you're exactly right, and this is the stuff that happens. You know, when you get up into these upper levels, the problem is never education, it's never a skill set, it's never that, it's always human behavior. And so, I mean, I could, <laughs> crazy stories. But, you know, I had a client, the CEO was so strong. a matter of fact, I did, ran his profile, then the director of HR called me and said, what do you think? And I'd never met that guy. I said, he looks like he'd really like a job at Auschwitz pulling teeth. Oh God, that's awful. (laughs) And she fell out of the chair laughing. She said, oh my God. And you know what she said to me? She said at five o'clock when it's time to leave, grown men and women wearing business suits will crawl on their hands and knees past his window. So he doesn't see them leaving. Oh my God. Because he's going to ask them where they're going at six o'clock at night or five o'clock at night. That's terrible. It was terrible. The, the turnover rate was 13 months. I'm
1: surprised it took that long to be frank. Yeah.
2: So, you know, so we got a guy in there. The turnover rate was 13 years. Oh, wow.
1: That's a complete 180. Yeah. It's interesting because that guy would have been crazy effective in certain departments
2: Well, he was effective for what they originally wanted him to do, which was to, you know, they built a new facility, $250 million facility, and they needed it done by a certain date. And so he did it. But then we had to clean up the bodies afterwards.
1: Yeah, it's like a military junta where people go, this is terrible. The military took over, and it's like actually – You kind of need a dictator for a year to get shit done, but then you need to hand it over to the, to the president who's going to go, okay, this is how you manage a country. You can't have North Korean prison guards running your sales department or whatever. Exactly.
2: Well, it went from an SS officer to Santa Claus. Yeah. That's what happened. It was unbelievable. And so, you know, I had a company who did this down in Georgia, maybe five, no, three years ago. And they started making all their decisions based upon personality difference. And their company in one year went up 40%.
1: Phenomenal. Yeah, I can completely, I mean, you're preaching to the choir because that's what we talk about largely in the show is how people skills, human skills are much more valuable. And I, I my origin story, not to bore the listeners with it, but my origin story is Wall Street attorney wondered why my quote unquote mentor was never in the office, found out he was generating business for the firm, therefore made more money than the partners in there at one o'clock in the morning. And that's when I looked, took a hard look and said, so even at the top levels, it's all about people skills. And the truth was, even at the top levels, it's actually more about people skills than anything because technical prowess sort of caps out, barring a few really just genius, brilliant, innovative individuals. Your technical prowess is gonna cap out. And unless you're one of those geniuses, which you can usually spot early on anyway, your people skills are really the only thing that are keeping you moving upward where everybody else plateaus. And it sounds like this is something that you see and deal with oh, literally yeah. every day. I,
2: I had a company in Chicago, and they had me do the team, and they said, do you see anything? I said, yeah, this one graph here um, is probably a red flag to me. They said, yeah, that's the red flag. They didn't know what I was seeing, but that person was a red flag, which is why they were doing this whole thing.
1: Right, it was the guy everyone hated, and they just needed you to come in and tell them why.
2: He said, this guy might be the smartest guy in the country, at what he does, but people don't like him. He just turns people off. He shuts his door. He doesn't, I mean, it's terrible. So I talked with the person and I knew what the problem was. He had what's known as an offense. He picked up an offense. So rather than looking at his ball and the the leader saying, listen, that ball that you brought a basketball to the football game. Right. So he's thinking bad ball, but it's really just the wrong ball. Uh Ah. Because he was thinking bad ball, he threw the ball down and went home emotionally. And they had to eventually let him go. And they they wanted me to coach him. And I said, the odds are good. It's not going to happen. So why don't you have a conversation, one conversation with him. Tell him you're willing to work with him. You want it to work out. But he cannot have this role in leading people until this. And the guy's like, I'm 50 years old. I put my time. I've done all this. And you're not going to just give it to me? He goes, no, I'm not going to let you hurt people. Hmm not going to do it. I'll lose you and suffer the consequences before I'll let you hurt these people.
1: Yeah. Brilliant. That's a tough call.
2: And then it was a mutual agreement for him to leave. And that guy will never go anywhere. He will cap out at the level of his expertise, but he'll never get into a director's role because now he has to deal with people. And that never works with this person.
1: Yeah. Is there hope for people like that or are some people just unable to grasp the skill sets that we're talking about now, emotional difference, communication difference, behavioral difference.
2: Yeah, there's hope for some. There's no hope for most. Really? Yep, in my opinion. This is why I have a program I call Change or Exchange. That's a very qualified opinion, though, because that's disappointing. (laughs) Well, if the intensity is too high, then it's like going to work every day, taking your bottom lick and pulling it over your head. Right. To, to make the changes. And no one's going to do that. Why don't we just take you, why don't we use a hammer to to hammer nails instead of a head of lettuce?
1: Oh, I see what you're saying.
2: I mean, I could sit and look at that head of lettuce and you go, listen, dude, can we change this head of lettuce and make it a hammer? Right. Is there any hope? No, there's no hope.
1: Right, sure. You
2: can't. You put the lettuce in the salad and we're great.
1: What if, what if I'm the head of lettuce? Can I then turn myself into a hammer by working my
2: ass off, or am I out of no, luck? No, you need to find a salad and go make more money than you would trying to be a hammer.
1: Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah,
2: yeah we, we have to bloom where we fit, not where we ever happen to be planted. You can't bloom if you're not a flower. Ah, that's excellent. So I try to help people do what you are, and you'll never work again.
1: Right, it's like the ugly duckling thing, kind of going yeah. on. Yeah. Gotcha. What What about some of these other paradigms? Emotional difference and adapting to where other people are. This sort of seems to hold hands with communication differences as well. Yeah,
2: but it's nuanced, right? Here's an example. That guy I told you was the hill, Attila the Hun at that company, where the people were crawling around. Right. Right. He was a logic based person. So I went there to meet with him, and I sat across from him at his desk. It was pretty scary, to be honest, and. I looked at him and said, listen, the people are scared. We got to fix it. So I kind of cut to the chase like he would, got to the point like he would. And he looked at me and he smashed the desk with his fists. Oh, that's creepy. And he leaned forward at me and he was from Switzerland. And he said, I'll tell you what these people fear. They fear these assessments. That's what he said to me. So I just looked at him and I said, we're not talking about them. We're talking about you. Oh, he didn't like that. And this is what he did. That's a good point. No way. <laughs> now, let me tell you why he did that. Because he was a logic. He wasn't emotionally attached to the conversation. If he wasn't emotional, he would have fought for his right to be right. But he was a logic. Because, if, because I was right, he had to agree. Like Spock in Star Trek. The cadet has a point, Captain, even though he hated the guy because it was logical. That's the only reason why I did it. And that's the reason why I got away with it. Unbelievable. So that's how you adapt to people's difference. So I had to go in there and be an a-hole and it worked.
1: Right. Because he wasn't going to understand if you came in soft, he would have killed me and enjoyed it. He would have steamrolled you. Yeah, exactly. And yes, and enjoyed it, right? So,
2: because I was him, he wanted to have a beer. You know what I mean? Right.
1: No, I totally get that, and it's funny because I've started to do that when I was a kid, very naturally. You know, when not that my dad's a bad guy, but he used to yell at me all the time because that's how he communicated with his own father, and I yeah. used to be really sensitive. And as I got older, he would go you know, God damn it, why are you doing this? And I'd be like, guys, it doesn't make any freaking sense for me to do that. And he'd go, oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah, exactly. You know? And I was thinking, oh my God, if I'd known that worked, I would have done
3: yeah. that 15 years ago.
1: Th-
2: Many years ago, I think 2003 or so, we were taking 28 teenagers to Mexico for a humanitarian thing. And there was another leader that was coming and he was a business owner. I hadn't done any business with him. And we were doing meetings with the teenagers to help them understand what needed to be done and so forth and during the course of that he kept sending me and my wife emails don't be late yada 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 you know high dominant and my wife said i don't think he likes us and i said ah he's just a dominant you know we get to the meeting and he's late okay now normally i i wouldn't have said anything but because i wanted to do business with him i did and i said to him i said matt you're late And he looked at me with a grin and I said, I don't want one more email from you about being on time until you're on time. You got it? And he just looked kind of shocked and then walked into the meeting. After the meeting was over, I walked up to him, put my arm around him and said, dude, I'm so glad you're here. It's great to have you, yada, yada, yada. And I'm walking down the hall. And as I'm walking away, he yells at me, Steve, yeah, I'm really sorry I was late. I really felt the sting of what you said. And then he goes, and I liked it. Huh. So I ended up doing $30,000 worth of business with him that year.
1: Sure. Sometimes you got to build that trust.
2: Now, I asked him outright, I said, what would you have done if I didn't say anything? He said, I would have thought I could be late every night because you don't care. I said, that's what I thought. So that's how you adapt to different people. You have to do things that are a little out of the ordinary because you know it's going to work with that person. So the dominant, aggressive people and the movers and the shakers and the talkers always use periods and exclamation points. With the passives, the sads and the, and the scareds, always use commas and question marks. That's a quick way to deal with it.
1: Is that like a vocal tonality thing? Because when I read that, I looked at it the way we teach vocal tonality, which is, I'll let you explain it rather than just confusing the issue.
2: Okay. If I'm talking to a dominant and he did something wrong again, yes. I might say, what the hell are you doing? And if it's a passive, like a sad style, I might say, hey, Sue, have we talked about this?
1: Perfect. So that is what exact. We're on the same page there.
2: See it? Yeah. Yeah. So I invite her into the conversation where I command the other person to stop. Because that's what they understand. Whereas if I did that to that other person, she'd drive home crying.
1: Sure. Yeah. And if you tried it with the dominant, they go, get out of my way. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, what are you talking exactly. to me for?
2: I think you are retarded.
1: <laughs> yeah. They would just be like, what why are you even talking to me about this? Yeah. What's
2: Get out so, of here. yeah, those things are really important. And so, and when you're see, dominance require results, glad people require interaction, sad people require security, and the scared people require information.
1: Can you repeat that because I think that's really salient?
2: Yeah, the dominant people require Results. The glad people require uh, interaction. The sad people require safety, and the scared people require information. Right. When I'm dealing with a dominant person, it's all about results. It's all about winning. So if I'm, I want them to do something. I'm going to appeal to the fact that it's going to cut out a lot of work, and they're going to be on top quicker than they would if they did it this way. So they're going to listen to that.
1: Right. They're looking at the data and they're like, okay, my goal is to win and to crush. And you say this is going to do this and you've been delivering.
2: So, all right, we're going to do that way. Don't give them pamphlets and information. Cut to the chase. How do you sell a car to a security-driven passive? You don't sell it. You stop trying to sell them the car and tell them to go home.
1: (laughs) Right. Right, exactly.
2: And they will use you as a salesperson when they're ready because you're not threatening.
1: Uh, Perfect.
2: You have to know the style, and then you communicate with them in a way that works for them, and then they can hear you. Else, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher: wah 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 wah. They not get. They're not hearing it.
1: Right now, of course, because it doesn't make it through the filter. It it doesn't resonate, and I hate words like that, but it's very appropriate. And this, it doesn't cause any sort of vibration on their antenna.
2: That's exactly right. They're not tuned in, or threatened by it, or whatever.
1: Yeah, it gets screened out, right? Because if you're if you're being dominant with somebody who's passive, they're just like, I don't know. Steve just yelled at me. I don't even know what he said. Exactly.
2: So if you're selling a car to a glad, you get a convertible, a red one. You let them drive. You get out in the middle no nowhere and you look at them and go, dude, open this baby up. And then they do and you're like, you look unbelievable in this car. Well, they can't wait to get back there so they can sign the paper. Right. Because you just praised and stroked them the whole time they're driving, which is what makes them make decisions.
1: Right, again, about feelings for the glad folks.
2: It's all about the feelings and the emotion of it. That's right, so you appeal to that.
0: Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge.
3: They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi.
0: And then in the scared example,
1: to use the same analogy with a the car, they need information because they're worried that they're going to make the wrong choice and regret it. So if you flood them with data and they make a decision.
2: That's right. Let's say, listen, these aren't just brakes. You thought these were just brakes. Let me show you how these things work. And you just show them like some mechanics of that car. They're going to be all over that. Now, and then you say, listen, I want you to do me a favor. You go home and you look at consumer reports on this vehicle. You're not going to believe it. This is the vehicle for you. And you'll know why when you go take your time to go through that. They'll do that. You do that to the happy person and they're like, it's a cheese grater on their forehead. They don't want to know that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know, they walk
2: in the lot and go, I'll take the red one. They don't even test drive it.
1: Sure. Yeah, that makes perfect sense.
2: That's funny. Yeah. And the sad people, you got to be real careful. You just like, hey, how you doing? You interested in a car or you just looking? Yeah. Just looking, okay, well, I'll be inside if you need anything, and leave them there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. No, that makes a lot of sense. And of course, again, reading nonverbal and verbal communication to decide which modality.
2: Yeah. you'd think they teach this at car sales school, but nobody does. They
1: don't even teach, you know what? They don't teach salesmen anything because it's a really easy job to get, and it's a lot easier to just screen through 100 people than it is to try to train people with this stuff.
2: I know. It's frustrating. Yeah
1: even super high-end sales guys like we get a lot of high-end sales guys at the art of charm and i mean guys that sell anything from real estate all the way up to you know the hundred million dollar it solution for something something government whatever those guys come through and you ask them how they learned how to sell and they'll give you a book list of the same crap that every terrible salesman has also read The, the difference is They've tried it, worked a bunch of things out that they can't articulate, and they kind of get it at an intuitive level. But it would cost millions of dollars to train these guys if it was even possible, so it's just easier to filter out. Just grind all the rocks until you find a diamond rather than trying to press one.
2: Yeah, you're right.
1: What about some of these other ways that we can become more of a connector or become a better communicator? I mean, we talked a little bit offline about vulnerability, and it's a common theme here at The Art of Charm. Vulnerability makes you valuable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, people think they need to be valuable without vulnerability, and and you can't. Here's an example. If you're really angry at someone, you say, Listen, I can't believe you did this. And they just look down at the ground and they look up at you and go, You know what? You're right. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I don't even know why I did that. All of a sudden, you don't want to pull your gun out anymore. You want to put it away. You see, because they were vulnerable. They opened up themselves and risked ridicule. That's what vulnerability is. It's a risk. It's risking ridicule. It's opening yourself up to being unsafe because they could take the information that you show them and run with it and ruin you. Right, right. Sure. And so when you do that in nature, you always have a few people it doesn't work with, but it works with most people. And so being vulnerable is being authentic, being your authentic self. And when you do that, You will have more success because people will trust you. People will like you. It just works.
1: So, yeah, it's about getting people to like and trust you by showing, lowering the shield.
2: Lowering the shield. That's exactly right. And as we do that, we kind of open ourselves up. You know, the problem with dominant people is they always imagine themselves being taken advantage of. So they're always looking for it. So the dominant people tend to be on the offensive all the time.
1: So they're the guys that would take your vulnerability and be like, what an idiot,
2: I can't believe you told me X, Y, Z. They see it as weakness. Right, sure. Okay, meekness is not weakness. And if you're familiar with the movie The Prince of Egypt, the Moses story, in the Hebrew scriptures it says, Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth, but he tackled a nation. Because he was meek, he wasn't weak in that story. And so that's a good way to remember it. Meekness is not weakness, meekness is vulnerability.
1: All right, excellent. I'm going to let that sink in for a little bit because I think that's extremely powerful. And vulnerability is something that works for most people a lot of the time. But yeah, the exception is when you're dealing with somebody who's extremely dominant and you're trying to get a certain result or build like, you know, the trust and rapport with them. It can backfire.
2: It can, and you got to discern whether or not that's the card you want to play with that person. If you try to be vulnerable with a person who can't understand it, then you don't want to pull those cards. Everyone else, you can. My question would be, why are you working with this person if you can't be vulnerable with them?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Because unless those people serve a specific function, maybe, right? Like maybe you need these aggressive sort of types because they're the ones who sell to other aggressive types and that's what your product is geared towards. You know, you're selling Lamborghinis or something.
2: Yeah, well, I encourage people to hire attitude and train aptitude. aptitude. Yeah. You've probably heard that.
1: No, I haven't, but it makes perfect sense. You
2: can't train an attitude. It's what it is. So if you have an organization where you've got strong, dominant people in it that are humble, that are open, That are valuable because of those things, then they can be mean all day. But then when you talk to them, they're like, you know what, you're right. Right. They turn, yeah, they get it. So, what you want to do, you want to, if you're building a business, you want a dream team. You don't want, well, you know, I'm settling for this or that. The problem with a lot of organizations is they hire based on sentiment, they don't hire and fire based upon what's going to actually work so they may have somebody in the organization that's not working out and they can't get rid of him because of sentimental reasons and they suffer for it i had a client that was doing that and i said listen this guy cannot perform this job and here's why i said so you either need to look at him like a, a 501c3 organization like a charity or stop complaining about him that's what i said and he said you're right I'm going to keep him because he has a family and I like him. I said, then you can't complain about him. Yeah,
1: quit bitching. Exactly. Because
2: now you're the jerk. And he was like, okay.
1: <laughs> now it's a good point though, right? You can't bitch about somebody's nature and then- And not change it. Right, not change it. Exactly. You can't do
2: that. It's not fair to people. And so he, the guy ended up working out over time. I'm sure, yeah. I think he's still there. And that was like 10 years ago.
1: Perfect. So vulnerability makes us valuable. Practicing vulnerability we've talked about before- just basically involves looking for opportunities where you can be vulnerable and going
2: for it. And you do it where it's safe at first. Like I'm in one time, my wife said to me, why did you do that? And I looked at her and said, because I wanted you to think I was important. (laughs) She went, what? (laughs) I said, yeah, that's why I did it. And it felt great and it was funny. So I I can do those kinds of things. And you know, I called up a director of HR, the company with 1,700 people in it. And he answers the phone. I said, hey, Pumpkin, what's going on? And he goes, who is this? And I says, it's Steve. You We're still friends, and I haven't worked with that organization in years. And I help him, you know, with his website. And it just turned into a great relationship. And it was because I just made him vulnerable right, by you being vulnerable myself.
1: Blasted through the pretenses of BS protocol. Absolutely. That could have blown up in your face because he could have gone, uh, excuse me, this is unprofessional then again, well, you didn't I
2: have this profile,
1: right? You Oh, so you knew it was going to Well, you I cheated I then. get away with it, right? You cheated. And, and, but also worst case scenario, you know what? Sometimes you do that and people think, Oh, this is unprofessional. And you go, well, good thing. I don't work for you.
2: You know, I'm a jeans and a t-shirt guy. I mean, I'll be with the CEO at his house watching last samurai with his kids. That's how I do it. Yeah. And so I don't have to do the dog and pony show. I don't want to do that. If you've been to my website, you can tell the kind of person I am. And the people that love me are the people that hire me. And they call me up at nine o'clock at night because they got in a fight with their wife and they want help. Right, yeah. That's my relationships. And that's where I like to keep Welcome to my life too.
1: And and I assume we have a lot in common there for for sure. And what's great is, of course, you and I are in a unique position where we can work with people we want to work with. And if somebody doesn't seem like a fit, we can tell them to go fly a kite and whatever, in whatever communication modality might be most effective to tell them that. Yeah. Uh, So... (laughs) What about developing ourselves with these, again, these emotional differences and things like that? Like if I'm an aggressive person, how do I practice maybe softening that or should I be doing that?
2: Most aggressive people know when they're around a non-aggressive person because they tend to hire a non-aggressive person. They want to surround themselves with non-aggressive people because they don't want an argument when they tell somebody what to do. So if you help people be aware that they're aggressive, and I have a guy like this, one of, he's a new client actually met him out at masterminds. And in that conversation, I said, listen, here's how people are probably viewing you. And he went, really? And I said, yeah. And during lunch, he left the table and went and called his company and made it right. Oh, wow. Right after the conversation. Ballsy. He went and did a couple touches, you know, didn't say, hey, I've been a jerk. He was like, How you doing? What's going on? Just checking in, you know. He just did that and he said it was great. So, people can do that. Not everybody, some people don't wanna do it because it's the way they are. And usually those people are what I call survivors. You know, ancient Hippocrates, he noticed that the people that lived in the high mountainous regions were vicious and nobody could defeat them in war. And the reason being is because they were living in unpredictable domains. The snow, the blizzard, the lions, it would, anything could happen at any time. And those that could survive that, that's the way they were. And so that's the way some people are today. They're raised in environments that are unpredictable, which could be an alcoholic parent that just hauls off and smacks you in the face when you're six years old right. or something. So you come out of that environment and the only tool in your box is a hammer. Right. And that's all you use. I had to deal with one of those people. It was a woman. And I said, you're a survivor, not a thriver. And she cried in the meeting. And the owner of the meeting called me up later and said, she did a 180 and now we don't have to fire her.
1: Oh, wow. I sh- assume that's rare. It's somewhat rare, but very powerful.
2: It's somewhat rare, but it's, it's a, the best feeling in the world for somebody like me because I'm after results. And when I get a result like that, it's awesome. But again, not everybody is that way.
1: Now, speaking of adapting behavior and things like that, you'd mentioned before if you're a comma and question mark person, we should find opportunities to communicate in those ways. So practicing that punctuation game, if we can call it that, right? Yeah. Communicating with people and their speech modalities or adapting our behavior, looking for clues in their body language and nonverbal communication to accommodate other people. Is that something that we can practice? Wa- I want to give the guys and the girls listening something they can take away from this where they can start to slowly whittle away and hone this skill set.
2: Yeah, again, you want to practice where it's safe, which is... A frank list: friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, kids that you know. Um, If you're a passive style, you know that's the person who has to count to three in their head before they ask a question to somebody who's more dominant, who's more secure and straightforward. And so you have to look for opportunities to do that, and you have to step out of yourself sometimes. It's really hard. The best thing to do is to talk with someone and say, "Listen." I've got an issue here that's been really holding me back and I want you to be an accountability partner with me on this and I need to be a little more aggressive, so I'm going to be trying that out. Okay. And I've done things like this. You know, I had a friend of mine who said, Steve, when I do this, would you do me a favor? I said, yeah. He goes, punch me in the face. I said, are you serious? He goes, I'm dead serious. If you ever see me do this, I want you to punch me in the face. No, I never did. But the point was, he was practicing vulnerability and wanting to change some things and he was a d so he was a dominant so that's how he did it but he did and over time he changed i got a phone call for him like five years later and he said you know i am not the same person i was when we used to work together he said but everything i've learned about people you taught me even though it didn't seem like it so spending time with people that you want to be like is a real key oh yeah to success in some of these areas. A lot of people measure down instead of measuring up. In other words, they put themselves in a situation where they're at the top of that emotional chain of food rather than at the bottom so that they can reach up. And I make that a rule in my life. I'll be with anyone. I only hang around the people I wanna be like. And so when I am trying to make changes, then I cuddle up to that person who's got those traits more.
1: Sure. We talk a lot about you only go as high as your five closest friends or show me your friends and I'll show you your future.
2: Yeah. So you really, those are some of the things you can do. In other words, you can make it a a joint effort with somebody if it's a real problem. And then again, find the people in your life that are what you want to be like and spend more time with them because that DNA somehow rubs off. Excellent.
1: Yes, I, I love that. It's the mindset that rubs off, though, right?
2: Yeah. You start seeing that when they do it, it's not as bad as you thought it would be. You know, you start seeing, you know, I can remember years ago when I had another business many years ago, 20 years ago, I would not do certain things for fear of looking like, you know, a jerk. Like they asked me to do something for free and I would because I didn't want to lose them as a client. Right. And then I started realizing this is killing me. Somebody brought it to my attention. A friend sat down with me and said, Steve, you want to make money? I said, Yeah. He goes, And stop doing this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, And I was working for him. I was doing a job for him. And he's like, You're too nice. You're doing too much. I want you to make money. You, you have a problem with this. So I fixed it and it doubled my income in a year. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Because the same people who wanted you to work for free were willing to pay you in the end.
2: I'd say, Listen, it's a change order. They went, Okay. And I'm like, it was an illusion.
1: (laughs) Unbelievable. And yeah, it is a lot of times those really small things, right? You can do this. You can make this happen. You can do this type of thing. I mean, it goes in line with what we teach at the Art of Charm, and it goes in line with what I've experienced in my own life, which is that a lot of this stuff, yeah, is an illusion. There's a lot. Of course, there's processes and, and learning curves and things like that that are in place, but A lot of, oh, well, it doesn't work like that tends to be something that we've constructed, the the proverbial story you tell yourself about yourself, right?
2: Yeah, well, it's to keep yourself from having to grow and change because it hurts, you know? So it's self-preservation is actually what the word eros comes from in its psychoanalytical terms. It's about preserving self. That's what we do really well. So you have to... Understand that preserving myself doesn't necessarily grow myself. The only way to grow myself is really to expose myself and work through those things. But the healthier you are with who you are, the easier it is to make these changes. Excellent. The people that find a lot of difficulty in making changes like this and working through some of these things are people with extremely low self esteem.
1: Sure, of course. And of course, if that's you, then that's the
2: first thing you need to attack, right? Yeah, you need to sit down with somebody or something. You need to do something about that (laughs) because it'll limit you. Of course. And it's not a good place to live, and it's a big lie.
1: It's the biggest lie that destroys the people who believe it. And unfortunately, it's pretty insidious, and it starts from a young age. But that's why we're
2: here, right? Exactly. You know, I have so many people, I get them on the phone, and then when I'm doing a professional debrief, of course, I'm not like, oh, I noticed this. I never do that. But sometimes they'll start, they say, can I ask you a personal question? Is this confidential? And I'm like, sure, absolutely. And they'll ask a question. It almost turns into therapy instantly with some people. They're crying or whatever. And it's just it's amazing. And it's a very powerful thing. But once you've earned somebody's trust, if people know you care about them deeply, it qualifies you to say anything to them.
1: That's a good point, right? Because then they know that whatever you're saying is coming from a place of, Of caring.
2: That's exactly right. When they know you've communicated it, they know that, you know, this goes all the way back to Aristotle's rhetoric when it comes to speaker and audience, let's say. There's three things. If they perceive or believe that you know what you're talking about, number one, number two, you're a messenger of goodwill, and number three, you have their best interest at heart. You can say anything and they will listen to it first and then decide second.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to get out there? Obviously, we'll have your website and everything in the show. Uh, notes.
2: Not really. That's
1: like—that's <laughs> <laughs> the first time I've ever gotten a real honest answer out of anybody. Whenever I ask, they're like, oh, yeah, I've got my new book coming out. Yeah. No, nah, I'm done.
2: I'm good. I don't know if that's a plus or a minus. No, both, it's
1: perfect. We need to leave okay. it in, too. I don't even want my editor to take it out because I yeah. think it's just a perfect answer to that question. Okay. <laughs> nope, blew my wad earlier. Thanks, short. Thanks anyway. Yeah. Great show. I really appreciate it. And of course, we'll have the links to what you do, your training, everything like that in the show notes. And uh we'll look forward to the feedback from the audience on this one as well.
2: All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Good stuff. Love the people reading skills. Obviously, I've dedicated my life to that type of stuff. Personality archetypes are always helpful for delineating archetypes, behavior patterns, and predicting behavior, and of course, seeing it in yourself and spotting differences and communicating more effectively is really a priceless skill set. Vulnerability, no news to guys who listen to The Art of Charm on the regular, but always practicing it and getting those drills and exercises to help you hone the skill sets of reading people and matching their communication type are really solid and really closely mirror what we teach here at our boot camps at The Art of Charm. So hope you enjoyed this one with Steve Sisler, and you can get more from Steve, stevesisler.org. Of course, we'll link that up in the show notes as well. And show feedback and guest suggestions are always welcome. The show's a fanarchy, which means it's run by you. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone is a good fit, let me know, Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Steve on Twitter. We're going to have that linked up in the show notes as well. Bootcamp live program details, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Remember, there's two dots in there. And if you're listening to this, but you're not subscribed to iTunes or Stitcher, change that for God's sake. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or your computer while you sleep, it's really the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. And you can do that by going to iTunes and searching for the Art of Charm podcast or going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and hitting subscribe, that is it. Of course, we also have our iPhone and Android apps available at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. And please tell your friends... Dang it, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.
0: Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man
2: at theartofcharmpodcast.com.